I'm John Torek. And I'm Danny Sullivan. And you're listening to Speaking of Design, bringing you the stories of the engineers and architects who are transforming the world one project at a time. Today, we'll meet a group of architects volunteering their design expertise to make a difference in the world beyond their day-to-day jobs. We'll learn more about one of their projects in India and how they're partnering with a medical technology enterprise to improve healthcare for an underserved community. project doesn't actually give back in a single instance. A project has the opportunity or the potential to touch hundreds if not thousands if not even tens of thousands of lives over the course of the existence of that project. And that is incredible in being able to develop societal change or the ability to create more resiliency in a community and to better the lives of others. That's Jason Emery Grand, a design director at HDR. His teams have designed everything from high-end modern furniture and small-scale fixtures to complex multi-billion dollar healthcare campuses. Jason Emery works in his hometown of Kingston, Ontario, where he took an interest in design at an early age. I was quite young when I came upon the realization that architecture might be the right thing, and I came from a construction family background. We had a construction family business, and I found myself more and more interested in the design side of that industry, and from there, honestly, never looked back. Early in his career, he landed a position with a local firm that specialized in healthcare architecture. So from there, my passion has become quite focused on health and wellness relative to architecture and design. Jason Emery joined HDR through an acquisition, as did several of his colleagues, who came from an architecture firm called CUH2A. There, they had been looking for a way to use their design expertise to make a positive impact on underserved communities. Thus, the idea for Design for Others was born. Design for Others is effectively an entity within HDR that provides pro bono design services for areas in need, and those areas could be anywhere in the world. And our goal is to bring our resources to bear, our skills and talents, to be able to help those in need to be able to achieve either health education or kind of science-based endeavors in their territory. Well, the work of architects makes a difference in the world, rarely do designers get to stand shoulder to shoulder with the people whose livelihood depends on the very buildings they design. Design for Others offers that opportunity to learn from the communities they're designing for firsthand. We pride ourselves in elements of expertise. We are very open-minded and we want to make sure that we're working with either people on the ground in the local areas we are working in, or even with other partners that can just bring more to the table with us. Design for Others began with two volunteers, and they took on two projects in their first year, a facility in Mozambique to increase disease monitoring, and a laboratory in Tanzania to expand diagnostic testing capabilities. Since that time, D4O has grown to more than 200 volunteers who've completed over 50 projects across 13 different countries. That work has helped communities increase access to healthcare and education including projects that expand HIV testing or provide health science education to high school students. With so many communities in need throughout the world, Jason Emery said one of the challenges of offering pro bono design is selecting projects. And what we mean by that is that we pick projects that have the most impact in the locales that we are working in 
and have the best potential to get finished. A great idea is wonderful, but without the actual implementation of that idea on the ground, it is just actually sometimes more negative than it is positive. Meaning with limited resources available, you don't want your volunteers' time to go wasted. Imagine you volunteered for a project with us and this project might span six months. You have multiple deadlines by day at work. You're busy. There are a lot of demands on our staff regularly. And you've committed to providing all of this extra effort, obviously for free, as a volunteer. You have your heart and soul in this project. And six months in, the project all of a sudden just disappears because there never was any real money for it in the first place. To help evaluate projects, volunteers from D4O have built partnerships with organizations already embedded in local communities across the world. Examples include the Abbott Fund, the National Institutes of Health, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, to name a few. One partnership in particular has been a perfect fit. Construction for Change, we are a nonprofit construction management company, and we partner with other nonprofit organizations as well as governmental organizations. That's Tim Hickory. Director of Operations for Construction for Change. Our mission is to build spaces where people can become healthier, better educated, and increase their economic mobility. Construction for Change was founded in 2007 by three University of Washington graduates with degrees in construction management. Their vision? Essentially, to create a nonprofit construction company. To date, they've built 55 projects and estimate that their work touches the lives of more than 300,000 people annually. A large number of those projects are part of the 3030 Project. When we launched the 3030 Project initiative, which was a dream of one of our longtime volunteers, Julie Lewis, and then one of our board members, Scott Lewis, and their family to start this initiative to build 30 healthcare centers around the globe, which would bring access to critical health services to communities that previously didn't have them. The idea was inspired by Julie Lewis's personal story. Julie, she's a longtime survivor of age. She'd been diagnosed with it in 84, I believe, uh, when she was giving her daughter, Teresa, she underwent a blood transfusion. This was before testing for AIDS and before the virus was well understood. It wasn't until a few years later that she even knew that had happened and was given about four years to live at the time. And they didn't know anything really about the disease at that point. But lo and behold, 30 years later, <laughs> she because of modern medicine and her access to it and quality medications and services that we have here in the U.S. She's a fiber and, you know, living strong. And so Julian Scott's well-known son proposed the 3030 idea to commemorate the milestone. Her son is Ryan Lewis of the duo Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. And so he kind of said, why do one clinic when we could do 30? To celebrate the 30 years. Which was when Tim first met Jason Emery Gron from Design for Others. And so right at that time was actually we were launching the 3030 Project Initiative. We were coming into conversations with D4O and we're like, yeah, if we're going to do something this big, we need a solid design partner. Like their counterparts at D4O, Construction for Change found that the reach of their work was greater when they partnered with like-minded organizations. We're good at the building side and management side of construction, but 
you can only do so much with the design that you're given. And so that was an immediate need for us. Tim said the types of projects they build require a special kind of architect. And not just to be able to work with any architect. There's a lot of architects out there in the world, but we're working in resource-constrained settings, and context is so important to be able to have design teams that understand that, can adapt to it, have a desire to learn, and to be able to be respectful of the context that you're designing and building in. It was really important to us. So when we met the D4O team, it was kind of an answer to that big gap, that big question that we have. The new partnership began with a health clinic in northwestern Uganda that expanded maternity and children's services to a community of 16,000 people. It's really special. So we both played to our strengths in that. I think in our first meeting, it was just like, great. Looks like we found our answers to what we've been struggling with both on both sides. Jason Emery said the match went well beyond offering complimentary services. And within a few days, we realized that it, it was almost a marriage made in heaven, if you will, because our wanting to be careful about choosing the right partners, they were very well-tooled to fundraise and extremely well-tooled to choose and be careful to select the right clients and end user groups. And they were in need of consistent design services that they could depend on. Since that day, Construction for Change and Design for Others have completed nearly a dozen projects together. And as Construction for Change neared the final project of its 3030 initiative, it made perfect sense to work together again. I got a call from Tim Hickory one day, and Tim mentioned this project in Kolkata, which is in West Bengal, just in the northeast of India, just west of Bangladesh. And we got to know a lot more about what their ambitions were quite quickly. So iCure is a leading primary healthcare provider which aims to provide affordable and accessible healthcare to the population in India primarily. That's Sujay Santra, founder and CEO of iCure and an Ashoka Fellow. In the last several years, iCure has treated close to a million patients we are serving around 9 million population across seven states in India. Before founding iCure, Sujay had a successful tech career at Oracle, yet he found himself wanting something more. While I was working, I, my work was not able to relate to anything to with my community. And so even though I was very successful in my career, I, I could feel that there is a sense of vacuum uh, within me. And I really wanted to have that urge that how can I leverage my knowledge, my technology for the people who matters the most. Meanwhile, after retiring in 2009, Sujay's father began to experience some health issues and went to see a cardiologist. And when my father went back to our hometown in Kharagpur, he had some sleep disorders and he went to a local doctor. And when he came back after six months to see the cardiologist, the doctor said that you have been taking wrong medicines for the last six months. So that led me to think that uh, for people and the families who are sitting on top of technology, if this is the situation, imagine what is happening to millions of patients who are in the hinterland. Sujay was shaken by his dad's experience, which could have been avoided with better communication and coordination among medical providers. While he was home, he shared several train rides with patients, traveling hours from their villages for medical care, putting their own health and the health of others at risk. It was at this crossroads in his life that Sujay conceived the idea for iCure. 
His vision was to create a community-based holistic healthcare model by using innovative technology and a hub-and-spoke system to bring healthcare directly to patients in rural India. So using a layered model, because we know that in India we don't have enough doctors to the patients, roughly for every 2,000-odd patients, we just have only one doctor. So this is how in a three-layered architecture model, we are able to provide a comprehensive primary healthcare to the communities and while doing so we have created the model in a very sustainable way. As he got to know iCure, Jason Emery Gron saw how this business model allows healthcare professionals to connect with patients like never before. What I've learned from iCure is that they are very nimble, they are clearly adept at understanding the challenges in their context and an example being that in their part of the world the amount of healthcare servicing required may, in the foreseeable future at least, never actually match the number of medical professionals that will actually enter into the field in that area. So the fact that they thought through this problem in such a creative way was really exciting to us and we felt privileged that they were asking us to give them a hand to develop one of their prototypical clinics. Using this model, iCure has built five hubs, which are essentially small healthcare clinics. So these clinics are typically the hubs which are physical spaces which we rented out and it spans from roughly around 800 1,000 or 2,000 square foot of space physical doctors, medicines, all the tests being done. These are fairly small-scale clinics that are not only places where patients would go to get services, but there would be also places where the staff would come back from their outreach into the communities to access some of the diagnostics and the data. The spokes of that hub-and-spoke system are the community health workers. By providing that last-mile health care directly in rural communities, they're able to reach about 4,000 additional patients over a three-month period. And the very core element of our model is the frontline health workers. So these health workers are none other than the members selected from the community, mostly the village women who given the smartphone loaded with applications. So what they realized was if they could t- capitalize on technology and most importantly, make that technology very simple for anyone to use, and then subsequent to that, developing lines of trust in their communities so that they enable key individuals in those communities to be able to use that technology, that they could be able to do a significant amount of diagnostic testing. By putting mobile technology in the hands of frontline health workers, Sujay's vision is to disrupt the existing healthcare ecosystem. He's looking to employ telemedicine services to break down barriers between patients and healthcare professionals in order to improve access to reliable on-site medicine. Let's say if there is a pregnant woman who is in a remote area across the hills, through the jungles, or across the river without any bridges, when the health worker goes and visits this pregnant mother, uh, we give digital health cards to the patients, and when they're scanning that card, automatically all the data of that patient shows up onto the phone and all this happens in an offline mode because the entire data is captured within the phone. After a health worker visits a patient in a remote village, the spokes reconnect to the hub to complete the analogy. And when the patient's vitals are being captured, let's say hemoglobin, blood pressure, temperature and several other EKGs, it tells whether the patient is within the normal range or whether they're in any high risk indicators or not. 
and if there are any issues once the health worker comes within the internet zone his data gets synchronized back to the cloud and that is made available to the doctors and meeting with patients and families to then come back to this small facility to literally and figuratively download all of that information data and knowledge so that they could build their data set to better understand disease prevalence in the region. Sujay calls iCure a social enterprise, with his tech background being at the core. Similarly, we are working with various medical device companies because we understand that for the devices, getting access to the large communities is a challenge to test and see that how, uh, what is the user feedback and the experiences and how they would be able to design devices which is which would be affordable in terms of ROIs for uh, the various enterprises. Through international partnerships with tech startups, local nonprofits, and research organizations, iCure's plans go beyond the remote areas of India. While currently serving a rural population of roughly 9 million in India with just 400 health workers, they aim to reach millions more with expansion into other countries. And as we scale up to Vietnam, Indonesia, and few other countries, we aim to reach to close to 25 to 30 million population in the next two years. However, the immediate future involves building iCure's newest super hub clinic in West Bengal, India, expected to open in 2021, which was where construction for change and design for others came in. West Bengal is an incredible part of the world. It, it sits at the foothills of the Himalayas and is prevalent to a significant monsoon season at certain parts of the year. And so the amount of rainfall in that area is quite staggering and the water table is extremely high. During high tides, most of the region gets submerged completely twice a day, creating a fragile environment for the heavily migrant population from neighboring states. The new clinic will serve the communities of West Bengal, Barapur, and across the Delta region and adjacent villages of South 24 Paraganas. In total, about 4 million people. The team of Design for Others volunteers includes Megan Gallagher. She's a health planner and colleague of Jason Emery who works in HDR's Chicago office. So this is a small healthcare clinic that focuses around technology-based solutions. Part of what we're doing is to kind of help create an environment that they can pull in um, technology within different room types. Megan comes from a family of engineers and was drawn to architecture to blend the technical and creative sides of her mind. After starting her career, she began to specialize in healthcare design. I found that once I got into planning and laying out of the departments and spaces, that that was actually really interesting. Learning about technology and how physicians and nurses and staff work, as well as what patients' needs are. So kind of a blend of problems and coming to one solution that can create a good environment for everybody. She's had a lifelong passion for volunteering, which made D4O a perfect opportunity to lend her expertise to help iCure realize a new approach to comprehensive health care. So I'm doing the medical planning for this. So just looking at the different clinic spaces that they need from public spaces down to more technical spaces like x-ray or dental clinic. The clinic will offer access to general practice, maternal and child health care, eye care, dental care, and telemedicine services. The facility will also be centrally located for seamless communication 
with smaller clinics. Megan said that in spite of limited resources, working with a socially conscious startup can be liberating as a designer. The interesting thing about projects like this is they're almost less rigid than projects that I'm used to working on. So it's thinking about healthcare with what is truly important um, to create a healthy space and workable environment for healthcare workers. So what are the elements that create a good solution for that? Sometimes the solution involves the understanding that the use of space will evolve over time. I think the difference being just trying to approach these spaces with a lot more flexibility, considering sizes and how can sizes of rooms be joined together and can that create a different treatment room versus an exam room. Megan's colleague Paul Howard Harrison is also volunteering on his first D4O project. Paul's a project designer in Toronto, bringing his own expertise to the project. So I have acted in the capacity of the kind of schematic designer of the project. I came to this project not having a lot of experience in healthcare, so I work um, primarily in the education, science, and technology sector. So it was a bit of an eye-opener for me to approach this really with a blank slate. Paul became immediately interested in design for others when he first met Jason Emery. I was lucky enough on my first day at HDR to take a, I think, three-hour train ride with Jason Emery and found it a very interesting proposition that we would be able to kind of apply the skills that we use every single day into projects that don't typically receive this level of kind of technical approach. I, w- I was very uh, enamored with the idea from the beginning. Paul takes a data-driven approach to design. So I've been involved in computational research and architecture on an academic level for about five years now, and it's tricky to actually apply that in practice. Um, just because, you know, the demands of client and the site, you typically start with a design that is more or less fleshed out, and then you might have the opportunity to apply some kind of computational research and fabrication or, or detailing later on. Which aligns perfectly with iCure's technology-based healthcare model. They've been working with the IBM's big data lab to identify areas of the province surrounding them where they can most effectively deliver treatment. Uh, and they're trying to adopt this kind of new technology and mix it with a real boots-on-the-ground approach to pioneer what I think is a really interesting way to deliver healthcare. However, the West Bengal Clinic required Paul to rethink how he does research in the design process. But in this case, the client really wanted to introduce that kind of technology early in the process and really generate the building form itself using computation, which is totally novel for me. So it was a really interesting opportunity to take some of the research that I've been doing on the academic level and applying it to practice. The D4O team recognized the importance of context. In fact, designing a space that feels like it's part of a community rather than a foreign gift can be critical to members of that community embracing it. In the spring of 2019, Jason Emery traveled to Kolkata to meet the project team. This gave him a first-hand understanding of the region and how it should inform the design of the clinic. The livelihood of individuals in that area, the way in which they go about their daily lives, the seasonality of living in that environment, all play into what we call the vernacular of the place, the, the way in which they build to satisfy and solve some of those needs. And one of the key things we want to do with this facility is make sure that it is designed in a way that feels fundamentally welcoming to the people of West Bengal, so it doesn't feel foreign. Those shared cultural insights helped Paul use technology to play a major role. So I wrote an algorithm that mapped out a kind of building based on their needs, so based on their program requirements and trying to kind of optimize the sun shading on the site in a way that kind of picked up the 
vernacular architecture that exists there. So all the residential architecture you see in India, the courtyard is quite prevalent. So the idea was the artificial intelligence research that they're doing would uh, optimize based on the sun and uh, kind of echo that vernacular architecture, as well as acting as a kind of proof for why that architecture works. Jason Emery's trip also factored into the selection of locally sourced materials. So one other piece that's really interesting is because of the high clay content in the soil in that region, they are the brick-making center of that entire portion of India and that part of the world. And so one of the things that we found while visiting and on site was as prevalent as certain things may be in North America, brick kilns were literally found within a mile of each other. And when I say a few, I mean dozens upon dozens in the landscape. Which creates a visual identity, as well as playing a role in wayfinding throughout the West Bengal region. And so where in North America, you might find your way through a city by finding the church steeple, in West Bengal, you find your way from town to town by the kiln chimneys. And so what's really fascinating is that definitely created an imprint on us in terms of how we might consider approaching using materials like brick. Jason Emery took a number of wonderful photographs. And what really stood out to me was many of the homes that Jason Emery had photographed had these large piles of bricks outside their houses. And in this area of West Bengal, when you're planning on building a new house, you buy your bricks essentially a couple dozen at a time. And it's the stacking of the bricks that is an investment, like a material investment in your future home. Being respectful of the context and utilizing local resources will help make the new clinic feel familiar to the community. And I thought there was something really interesting in the kind of importance that's bestowed on material in the community. And so one thing that was really important for me in the design of this building was that the reverence for material, kind of putting on a pedestal, was really exposed in the building itself. And, and I think that's come through in the way that the building is designed. When Design for Others started, nobody anticipated the ripple effect it would have. Not only did the projects impact the communities they're designed for, D4O projects have also created opportunities for volunteers to utilize skills and knowledge that exercise their creative muscles in different ways. With different types of challenges derived from limited resources, Megan and Paul said it stretches a designer to think in more nimble ways. I think one of the big differences with this is just the type of technology they are using to administer healthcare. For instance, I'm thinking of they have a general radiology fleet. How is that going to be? The solution for that seems almost simpler than the type of x-ray room that we would build here, very large and very complicated equipment. So how can these technology-based healthcare solutions be brought over here and almost maybe make things simpler? One thing I thought was interesting for me with this project was the idea that you don't need to have a high-budget project to be high-tech. I think in a lot of architecture, quote-unquote parametric architecture, that's been developed over the past 15 years. There's a real emphasis on kind of high budget, complicated form making. But I think with this project, it's really established for me that you can have a really high tech approach, a cutting edge approach even, to an architecture that can be extremely low budget, which I think is really exciting. The West Bengal Clinic also has made Paul reflect on how unique cultures and distinct geographies impact design. I think kind of in a similar way, this project has really made me think about the importance of research in the design process and really trying to learn as much as you can about a context or a site, whether it's here in Canada, where I'm based, or in India. And I think it's an approach that really pays dividends no matter where you are. But all the volunteers agree that most importantly, D4O offers an incredible way 
to create a meaningful, tangible impact in underserved communities around the world. It's an amazing outlet for desire to help. I have perhaps grown through my career to chase the headlines less and focus on what I hope is very substantive work that can really impact people's lives in a, ver in a variety of ways. I think that can be said about any architecture, but I think here, the work in an environment where the resources are so limited and the impact can be so exponentially great has been just an amazing opportunity. For more information on this podcast, visit hdrinc.com slash speakingofdesign. You'll find links to pictures, articles, and more information about this project. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate us or leave feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Jack Hirsch for co-writing this episode.